ask you to open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And uh, we're going to begin here in just a moment with this keynote, Steps of Faith. I mentioned before that this study was really born out of someone being saved and me wanting to be able to be a help. It was actually somebody else who asked. They kind of said, um, what are the first things that this person should know? And I thought, well, the first thing that they should know is to make sure that they know the Savior. Anyway, that caused me to begin this study. And then I realized as I was doing it that the study itself is something that everybody needs. We all need this. From the time we're born again, from the time we're babes in Christ until it's time to go home. And so now for weeks, I don't know how many weeks, a number of weeks, it should have been five. That was the point. It was supposed to be five. S-T-E-P-S. It was supposed to be five. It's kind of, I guess it's somewhat of a standing, what's the word, joke, that I have a hard time um, preaching quickly through anything. So this is part three of three for lesson five. The other ones all had one part. Um, and I say this semi-jokingly. I, I, would, I really would like to be able to preach 20-minute, 25-minute messages that have the same import and, and, and help as longer messages. Um, but I think it's really important that we see that it's what the Word of God says and that I'm just not clever, if you see what I'm saying. It's easy to be clever. It really is. It's far easier to be clever. In fact, many of you have been exposed to clever preaching, and it, it's, it's even fun to sit and listen to. When I was in Bible college, before I went to seminary, when I was in Bible college, when you take homiletics, one of the first things you learn in homiletics is how to be clever, really. I mean, you wouldn't think that would be one of the things that you learn, but how to alliterate your messages, how to make acrostics, how to do things in such a way that when people are listening to you, it sounds like you're really smart and they're really getting something worth listening to. But what I found is this, and this is something the Lord ta taught me while I was in Bible college, and that is this, the Word of God is quick and powerful. The Word of God is quick and powerful, all by itself. John was teaching Sunday school this morning. I don't know how many of you could have been at Sunday school but weren't at Sunday school, but it breaks my heart that you weren't at Sunday school because it was awesome. It was, by the way, it was, a, it was a perfect introduction to the lesson that I'm getting ready to teach. And so I will say this. If you didn't hear Sunday school, it's already available. You can already probably get it online. You should just go leave now. And I'm just kidding. Just, uh, but watch it later on this afternoon. Go watch it later on this afternoon. I think you'll find it to be a tremendous blessing. Now, you're going to think, by the way, when you listen to it, that John and I share our notes with each other. You really are going to. Uh, and yet he's teaching the book of Mark, and I'm teaching the second S in Steps of Faith. And I've already taken a lot of time in this introduction, but what I realize is this. I'm, I'm not, I, I really want these, these five steps, these S-T-E-P-S, to be something that's helpful, not just something that's quick. And so we'll see where we get together this morning. So Steps of Faith. S is for Savior. I'm not going to go through these again this morning. This is so critically important. S is not for salvation. S is for Savior. If you don't have Jesus, who is the Christ, as your Savior, 
you do not have salvation. If the church is your savior, you're not saved. If the preacher is your savior, you're not saved. If your parents are your saviors, you're not saved. Do you understand? If your good works are your savior, you're not saved. Only if the blood of Christ has cleansed you from all sin are you saved. If Jesus is your savior, then praise God, you're born again. You're a new creature. And thank the Lord for that. That's S. T is for trust God at his word. Um, the things that I'm going to say, I, it is my desire, it is my hope. I even have some expectation that it, they will be helpful to you. But you can always trust God at his word. The best way to know is to open the word of God and read. The best way to know is to open the word of God and read. E, E is for everlasting or eternal life. This is really important. If you're a new creature, then you have eternal life. Now, again, we don't have time to go over this, but man, Adam, Adam himself was created with eternal life. He wasn't supposed to lose it. He wasn't supposed to die. That was Adam's choice. Adam chose to die. And when he chose to die, we all died with him. And when we were born again, we were given back the eternal life we were created to have. And we don't have time to talk about all that. But this is so wonderfully important. If you're a new creature, it's all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if you don't have a new life, then you might not have the Savior. P, P is for prayer. Boy, what a privilege. What a privilege to be able to pray, to be able to come boldly to the throne of grace. Do you realize that Jesus' blood bought the way in for you and I to be able to go in and pray. All of our prayer is only heard because of what Christ has done for us. Amen? But because that's true, by the way, here, this is why this is really important. Because that's true, you can have a terrible day. John said something, I think he said it at Sunday school this morning. Somebody said it here recently. I, mean, I think he said it at Sunday school this morning. And that is this, the mercies of God are new every morning. The mercies of God are new every morning. That's because of the blood of Christ. See, the mercies of God are always new. If you've had a bad day, you can still go boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because of the blood. You and I can... Let, by the way, let me say this. If you've had a good day, I've been a great husband today, right? I haven't seen my wife very much. It was easy, okay? I've been a great husband today. I've been a good father today. I've even been a reasonably good pastor today, right? That being true... Boy, I got some things I need to pray about. And now, because I have this basket of good works, I can take those good works right and say, Lord, see what a good person I am. Now I come for you in prayer. Don't bring that basket in. It's the blood. The blood always, 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 always. Oh, what a wonderful thing, prayer. And then the last one is S. S is for the Spirit of God. This is probably one of the most misunderstood topics in American Christianity is the power of the Spirit of God, the promise of the Spirit of God, the things that God is doing in our lives with the Spirit of God. And we'll talk about that. That's where we're going to go today. So here's where we were. The Spirit, S is for Spirit of God. We had three parts. Part one was the promise. We looked, we looked primarily, if you want to go look at this for yourself, you can go to uh, John beginning in chapter, end of chapter 12, going into chapter 13, and you can see the promise of the Spirit of God. The Lord Jesus tells us the Spirit is coming. He even explains some of why. And that leads us to part two, the purpose of the Spirit of God. Again, in that same passage, that same extended passage in your Bible, you can find the purpose of the Spirit of God. We talked about this last week. And then part three, which is what we're going to look at now, the power 
of the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to show you the power of the Spirit of God in the life of a new creature. But before we can see that, you have your, your, your Bible open to Acts. Go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Just turn back to John chapter 1. Follow me there if you would. John chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. He, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, speaking of Israel, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And what I want you to notice is this. If you will trust Christ, if you will believe on his name, then he will give you the power, the privilege is what that word power means. It's not dunamis. It's not the word for power as in dynamite. It's the word for authority or privilege. He will give you the privilege of become a son of God. You cannot do this by being born. In other words, my children were not born Christians. They have now been born again Christians, and I thank God for that. But they were not born Christians, nor of the will of the flesh. You can't make yourself a Christian, nor of the will of man. I can't make you a Christian. Do you understand? We together cannot make one person a new creature. But God can, right? Born of God. That's what it says, right? You are, if you are born of God. So if you trust Christ, now we're going to look at the power of God in our lives as Christians, but I want you to understand in order for that to even be true, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that because you must be born again. You must have a spiritual birth. If you want to see that, you can go over to John chapter uh, 3 when he's, when he's speaking to Nicodemus. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's important that we understand you must be born again by the Spirit of God. Now, with that in mind, and I, that's just kind of a, a, a slight introduction. Now, I want to get to the power of the Spirit in your life as a Christian, the power to bear witness. So where are we going to look at this? And I'm, not, I'm just going to have you turn with me to these passages. Go to Acts chapter 1, which is probably where your little ribbon is. Acts chapter 1, John read this earlier. I have verses 4 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. So Jesus, right, he's getting ready to leave them. He's getting ready to ascend. He's assembled together with them. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise. All right, we looked at the promise already. The promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. In other words, the Father has authority over when these things are going to take place. You don't need to worry about that. But here's what is important. But you shall receive power. You might want to underline that. This is the word dunamis. This has the, again, dunamis. It's a word we get dynamite from, which is a tremendous explosive power. But it's also the word we get dynamo from, which is a continual great power. So here's what it says. But you shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. So here's number one. The power of the Spirit in your life is the power to bear witness. 
What God does when he puts the Holy Spirit in you, this is so very important, is he gives you the power to have something to actually talk about. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure when this became the, 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 the predominant method, especially of independent Baptist churches, of evangelizing, and that is this. To get people to go out canvassing and handing out uh, literature and that kind of a thing. And, and, and I think what they think they're doing when they do this is this. But this is not the power. That's not, that's not what Jesus... Jesus didn't give us the power to talk. Jesus gave us the power to be changed. Do you understand? The Holy Ghost living within you has made you a different person. Again, I, I, I keep falling back on one of the newest Christians in our church, and that's Amanda. And the reason that I do is because she's been so very vocal to her own extended family, to those who are, follow her on Facebook, about what, she hasn't become a religious nut. You know what I'm saying? No, no, I haven't become a religious nut, but I am a new creature. Jesus has actually changed me. The things that you're seeing is not me trying to make peace with God. The things that you see is what Jesus has actually done since he made me a new creature. That's, what she, that's what's going on. And that's what's important is because this is what God is wanting to accomplish. When he says, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses unto me. So here, let's, let's, let's say this. Okay, I'm going to pick Gary. I just, he caught my eye. So if I examine Gary's life, right, not what Gary says, because anybody can say anything they want to say. But if I examine Gary's life, what does that say about who Jesus is? Do you understand? See, if you profess to be a follower of Christ, if you say to others that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by him, what does your life say about that? And here's the problem. The problem is this. The vast majority of professing Christians that I met before I was saved made me want to have nothing to do with Christianity because they were hypocrites. Because they said one thing on Sunday and they acted a different way on Monday. And that's not something I needed in my life. But what I did need was Jesus. And here's the good news. I met a few, just a handful, a couple of people whose the change in their life was so remarkable that I had to acknowledge, and this is exactly how it worked, I had to acknowledge he has something that I don't have. And whatever it is, that's what I need. And when I asked this specific person, what is it that you have that I don't have? His answer was Jesus. And my response was, oh, but I don't want to talk about religion. And he said, nope, neither do I. And he started to talk to me about Jesus some more. This is what God is wanting to accomplish. Now, if you want to see this, bear, if you want to see this, so this is what we're going to do. The good news is Acts chapter 4 is going to take, save us some page turning today because a great deal of things that we need to see about the power of the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 4. Turn to Acts chapter 4. I have verse 8. We'll start in verse 5. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now these are people, these are the rulers, these are the religious rulers of that day <coughs> who were upset with the preaching of the gospel. And when they had set them, this is the disciples, in the midst, they asked, this is John and Peter, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, what does it say? Filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Then, not listen, look up here. Please look up here. Then, not Peter, well-trained and articulate. So, by the way, later, it's going to say that they considered these men, Peter and John, to be ignorant and unlearned men. Ignorant and unlearned. And the two words, I know I've said this before, but many of you have not heard it. The two words behind ignorant and unlearned, the Greek words literally mean no grammar idiot. Okay? So they considered, listen, they considered Peter and John still, still at this point, to be no grammar idiots. But they, but they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. So they're not making a name for themselves. This is not the early church making, it's not, it's not uh, Jerusalem Baptist Church making a name for Jerusalem Baptist Church. These are born-again Christians who can't do anything but tell other people how great Jesus is. And they're getting in trouble for it. They're going around and they're saying, Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He is resurrected. He has changed our lives. And it's wonderful. And they don't want to hear it. But notice what he says. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it, be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him did this man stand here before you whole. Isn't this wonderful? This is the power to bear witness. We didn't do this. Remember when they did it, when they first did this, this wonderful miracle and this man was made whole and people came running up to examine them, they said to them, why are you looking at us? Literally, that's what they said. Why are you looking at us as if by something that we have, by some power that we have, that we did this? We didn't do this. Jesus did this. That's the testimony, amen? Listen, let me ask you this honestly. Do you have that kind of a testimony? You know, when I was a, when I was a, uh, a young Christian, testimony meant nothing to me. The word testimony meant nothing to me. I hadn't been to enough church, if you will, yet for it to be something that I had to understand. So what it meant, all, when I heard the word testimony, every time I heard the word testimony, it sounded to me like somebody was talking about this veneer thing that you took out and showed everybody. This is my testimony. And I thought, I don't have one of those, but I sure have a wonderful Savior. But I don't think I want one of those veneer things that I show everybody. See, that's, that's called hypocrisy. That's literally a stage actor. You put the mask on and you wear it and you say to everybody, isn't my mask wonderful? No, your mask is horrible. Take it off. Amen? We need to see what's really going on in your life. Because if what's really going on in your life is just religion, we need nothing to do with it. But if what's going on in your life Jesus is doing, that's worth watching right there. That's what you're seeing right here in these men's lives. <clears throat> the power to bear witness. Number two, the power to evangelize. The power to evangelize. I mean, we can find this in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12. Just a couple verses later, so they say this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen? Listen, look, look, look up here. Um, John said this in Sunday school. I, I, I told you that there was a lot of, there's a lot of similarities between his Sunday school lesson this morning. Again, which is in chapter 1 of Mark, okay? But it's talking about the Holy Ghost. And so here's the thing. How do you evangelize? 
How do, how do you talk to your coworkers or your fellow students or your neighbors or your extended family? And here's how you do it. This is, this is it. Listen, listen how you do it. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. You just have to point them to Jesus. Do you understand? You just have to point them to Jesus. That's it. That's it. Now, let me say this. Please look up here. This is important. If you don't have a change in your life, then there's no reason to point them to Jesus. If Jesus hasn't changed you, then you have no reason to point them to Jesus. Do you understand? And here's here's the thing. What I have found to be tragically true is the people in my life before I was saved who were the most vocal about religion were the worst witnesses of Jesus by their lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? And yet they always wanted to say religious words when they were around me. It's like, I don't care what religious words. Again, I don't care what religious words you say. You have no testimony, I understand now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you're not changed. Are you changed? Really, honestly, are you changed? Are you changed? Can people see it in your lives? If they can see it in your life, they'll ask you. Again, I didn't have to tell, Bob did not have to hand me a track or, or knock on my door or do anything. I walked up to him and said, man, man, you got something that the rest of us need. What is it? And he thought I was trying to goof him. You know what I'm saying? He th- I, mean, I was in the Navy at the time. He thought I was trying to, um, what's the word, like make fun of him, if you understand. Now, granted, I had made fun of him a lot. So he had good reason to think I was making fun of him. But I, and again, I was a very successful person when I was saved. I was not down and out when I was saved. I was really up and out when I was saved. Everything was going wonderful for me in my life. Everything was according to the plan that I had laid out. Everything was going just like I wanted it to, and I couldn't have been more miserable. I thank so God. Oh, man, I'm so thankful. Please, please, please meet Jesus before you're in the gutter. When, when the Holy Spirit says to you, there's more to life than what you've got, believe him. But the irony is this, there's nothing in this world that's worth chasing. Nothing. Nothing in this world worth chasing. But Jesus is is tremendous. The power to evangelize, that's it. Just tell them who Jesus is. The power of the Spirit, number three, the power to stand firm. We're going to find this in uh, verses 18 through 21, just a little bit further. Let's go down and read. So what happens is this. Well, let's uh, keep reading. I'm just going to keep reading, right? So there's no salvation now. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived. Now, the word perceived means understood. Now, the irony is this. Listen, the religious authority are very well educated in this passage. The people who are the religious authority, they're not dummies. They're very well educated. They're very well trained. So, that, so this is, when it says they perceived, it's not that they just thought. They examined these men. They listened to them talk, and this is what it says. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, again, no grammar idiots. That's the words. They marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Look up here. Jesus did not come to make us scholars. He came to make us new creatures. Do you understand? Now listen, there's no reason in being ignorant and proud of it. No, there's nothing. There's no benefit to being dumb and like, I'm, I'm a moron. And I just want you to all be really aware of that. That's not the point. The point is whether you've highly educated or no education at all. These are, these are fishermen with no education at all. And they turned the world upside down. 
And yet our Bible colleges and seminaries are producing men who just parrot one another and are just cute and clever with their sermons. God, What God wants out of your life is for you to just walk with him in such a wonderful way that your extended family can see the difference and say, really, really, mom, dad, really, really, my brother, my sister, really, really, something is different in your life. Can you tell me what it is? And you can say, I can, I can tell you what it is. And the answer is Jesus is the difference. That's what this is saying. And beholding the man which was healed standing with him. In other words, there's a miracle there that they can't ignore. So Jesus is obviously something. That's the point. They can say nothing against it. But when they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. Okay, you guys leave the room. We need to talk. Saying, what shall we do with these these men? Excuse me. For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So listen, isn't that funny? So here, we got to do something about this. I mean, obviously what they did is real, but we're going to ignore that. But we can't pretend it didn't happen because everybody knows that it did. So what are we going to do? Isn't that amazing? Men love darkness so much that in the face of the obvious truth that Jesus is who he says he is, and he has empowered these men to bear witness to that, they're still going to reject it. And by the way, do not be surprised when you are new and people still reject what's done in your life. Don't be surprised by that. It's not the first time. And Jesus was very clear. We saw it a couple weeks ago. If they love me, speaking of the Lord Jesus, they will love you after you're a new creature. If they don't love Jesus, they're not going to love you either. And don't be surprised by that. And by the way, don't be angry with them. Don't be mad at them. Don't get back at them. Just love them. Just help them as much as you can. But don't be surprised if they reject the testimony. But that is spread no further, verse 17 among the people, let us straightly threaten them. Let's threaten them, right? They healed this man. Let's threaten them. Sounds a lot like the news. That they speak henceforth no, to no man in this name. In other words, we're going to threaten them that they stop not healing people, but stop talking about Jesus. And they called them and commanded them that they should not speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now, here's where here's what it is, the power to stand firm. But Peter and John answered and said, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? So listen, and I I I know I've said this a number of times to many of you, but what's the difference between this Peter and the Peter that's cowering before a little girl just a few chapters earlier in the Gospels? What's the difference? The Holy Spirit is the difference. By the way, remember, the Peter that was cowering to a little girl had boasted just a few hours earlier to Jesus that if everybody else runs away, I will stand with you, right? And then what did he do? I do not know him. He cursed and said, I do not know this man. He was, a, he was an arrogant coward. Now he is a humble, standing firm man. That's the difference right there. Here's the wonderful thing. If you're a new creature... Your pride will go away, but you'll have to stand where you have to stand. I have to stand here. I have to. I don't want to fight with you. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want you to be mad at me. I'm not mad at you, but I got to walk where God wants me to walk, period. That's it, right? The power to stand firm. And where does that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the Spirit on display here in this passage. Number four, the power of unity. This is in, starts in verse 23. It's actually, again, we just keep reading. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. 
For all men glorified God for what had been done. So again, it isn't that they didn't want to beat them or kill them. They knew they wouldn't get away with it this time if they did because of what had taken place outside and people had seen it. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. And being let go, this is wonderful, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voices to God, what? With one accord. So here's the testimony. Here's the testimony. We, God used us to heal this man. And by the way, it's not even about the healing. God used us to heal this right. Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give you thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went what? Walking and leaping and praising God. Amen? So this man had been wonderfully changed, and they said, don't preach in Jesus' name anymore. And so they go back and they said, this is what's happened. And everybody heard what happened, and nobody said, uh-oh, we better be careful. What they said was this. With one accord, they glorified God. Lord, thou art God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Amen? So what do they do? They recognize that the word of God already told them that this is what's going to be like. And they glorified God. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them to, the, to uh, neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to every man according to his needs. His needs. Isn't this remarkable? Now, by the way, this, I read all of that because this is going to show us the other things. So we see the power of their unity here. With one voice, they, they praise God. With one voice, they pray to God. And with one heart, they help one another. Amen? Yes? Is this the, really, honestly, is this unity like you've ever seen anywhere in your life? When I was first saved, I had read this passage, right, before I was saved. When I was first saved, I was going to go find a Christian commune and join it. I'm not joking, right? I was already in school to be an engineer. And I said, well, I'll just keep going to school. I'll be an engineer. And I'll go find it. Because where I grew up in Vermont, there were two communes. There was a, a Buddhist commune and a, and a Hindu commune not far from where I live, both of them. And I thought, well, I'll just, be like, I'll just go find a Christian commune someplace, and I'll be an engineer in a Christian commune, right? I won't need a salary. I'll just be an engineer. Whatever they need me to design, I was an electrical engineer. Whatever computer circuits they need me to work on, whew, I'll be there doing it, amen? Somebody else will be growing corn, hopefully. Somebody else will be growing wheat and, so I can eat, amen? That was my thinking. Now, here's, listen, here's the problem. I mean, 
Communism would work great if Jesus were really in charge. You know what the problem with communism is? The people in charge. Y'all better say amen, and you're going to be living in a communist country. I'm telling you. We are right around the corner from socialism and communism right here in the United States of America. And it sounds like a great idea because it would be a great idea if everybody were a new creature. But even if everybody's born again, we still can be selfish from time to time. But you don't see it here, do you? You talk about wonderful unity. God help us to have this, this, this growth of unity in our own lives. Number five is also in this passage, the power of prayer. Notice what it says about their prayer. It says... Um, in verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. When, I'm just going to ask you now, when was the last time you were at a prayer meeting and the building shook? Right? Now, you, now, listen, I know this is the early church, and I know that there are assigned gifts going on that are not going on in the age in which we live. But honestly, how many prayer meetings? I've been at some prayer meetings. I've, been, I've had times of prayer. You know, Brother Bobby McKinney was talking the other day. We were talking about the trip that we took um, to the Philippines, and he was talking about the times of prayer that we had before we left, and while they were there, that they were, they, I mean, they were just marvelous and wonderful. I have been at some prayer meetings that were marvelous and wonderful, but I've been at a lot of prayer meetings that are, and including ones here, where I was the one leading the prayer meeting, that were just kind of dry. But this doesn't have to be this way. That's the point. The power of God can be in our prayer lives together, in united prayer. This is not a prayer closet prayer. We should have those too, and that can be wonderfully powerful. But we should have times of community prayer that are powerful. Amen? That's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We see that here in verse 31. I just read it. Number six, the power of love. I was going to make reference to a song, but anyway, I won't go there. <laughs> All the lyrics are now running through my mind, amen? You know, it's, it's really remarkable, because I can't remember where my keys are. But, but listen, young people, the music that you put into your mind today, unfortunately, will be with you forever. So be careful what you put into your mind. Acts, 42, Acts 4, verses 32 through 35, we just read it. It says this. It says, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Here, look, look please look up here. By this... Shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another? Real unity, listen to me, listen to me. Real unity is not tolerance. Real unity is love. It's active love. It's we give money to Jimmy and Ann to go to China, love, out of your pocket. Instead of you having your Starbucks this week and maybe next week, Jimmy and Ann get that money instead. See, real love is sacrificial love. These people sold. What did they sell, by the way? How many are going to do this? How many of you are going to leave this message and go home today and sell your house? How many of you would get any money if you sold your house or is your, or you're upside down in your mortgage? You understand what I'm saying? So these people had possessions. They sold the possessions. Where did they bring the money after they sold the possessions? Where did they bring it? Where did they bring it? Right, to the apostles. They brought it right back to the church, and they trusted the church and said, you give it where it needs to go. And, and by the way, and you know what? We already know what Peter and John weren't doing with it, because when they met the lame man, what did they say to him? Silver and gold have we none. So they weren't stealing it, right? They, they weren't stealing it. It was being used like it should be. And I'm so thankful to have a church that has leadership in it that is using the tithes and the offerings, the faith promise, the, the, um, the offerings that come in to help other people exactly as they're designated. And it's so wonderful to know that when you give money, whatever you give money to at Tidewater goes exactly where you designated it to go, literally. And I thank God for that. 
It's wonderful. That's how God wants to do this. But you see that it goes beyond simply thinking fond thoughts of one another. It has action in it. It means I'm, I will be there for you. If you need help, let me know. I will come and I will be there. That's the power of love. Number seven, the power of leadership. In order to do this, we have to go turn. We have to turn to two passages. Two passages. Go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. I'm sorry, I should push the second. I should have had the second one show up when the first one does. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. And then Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. I'll read them and then we'll just see. You'll kind of see it's right on the surface. And in those days... When the number of the disciples was multiplied, so many, many people were going to church together. Praise God for that. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. In other words, there were so many people coming as they were taking care of the widows that some of the widows were not being cared for. It was falling through the cracks. Then the twelve called a multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason, it is not good, it is not right, it doesn't make any sense that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not that they're not willing to be servants. These are great servants of God. But they realize this. Somebody else could make sure this is done right. And we need to, because it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among yourselves, seven men of honest report, full of... what's, What's qualification number one for a deacon? What is it? Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, right? That's the number one qualification. There are other qualifications for the deacon, and they are found in First and Second Timothy and Titus. But if you're not a spiritual man, you have no business being a deacon. And again, I had a conversation with a pastor the other day about this. He said, I don't understand why so many churches, their deacons are just their wealthy men. I said, I don't understand why either, but it demonstrates our draw to money is what it does. But there should be, it should not be true. And, we're, and our, you know, if our deacons stood up, you'd say, well, that's not true in our church, amen? Because our deacons are not rich men. If you're, of course, there aren't a lot of people in our church that are rich men. So the, but the, the point that I'm making isn't having anything to do with the income. It has to do with the fact that the number one qualification for this is that they be spiritual men. That's what it says. So it says what, what they want to do is look out and find these, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint over this business but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word so this is what they should be doing this is what they were going to be doing and the saying pleased the whole multitude now that's a good business meeting amen and the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost and Philip and Prochorus and and Nicanor and Timon and Parnamus and Nicholas the proselyte of Antioch and they set And they sat before the apostles, and when they had prayed and laid their hands upon them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So here's what you see. Here's what happens. There was a difficulty in the church. It just was, was, listen, it wasn't malice. It wasn't hatred. It wasn't anger. It wasn't frustration. They just had not done everything that needed to be done to help all of the widows. And they said, we want to help all the widows. Find some men that are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and they will be responsible for making sure that this is done correctly. And the people said, we will do that. And And they did. They found men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And the apostles said, we recognize these men. We appoint them to be responsible for these things. They were responsible. And what happened? We had a multitude already in verse 1, right? And now what do we have in verse 7? It says a, a, a great increase and the disciples multiplied again in Jerusalem. So there was more growth in the church. Why? Why? Because of the power of the leadership. 
So the Holy Spirit, right? What was the point? The point was the Holy Spirit was leading the apostles to make sure that the people who were going to be in positions of authority were also full of what? The Holy Spirit. That's what we need. Yes? Yes, no. Sunday school teachers, your lesson matters. Your spiritual walk matters more than your lesson. The children in our classrooms, the people in everything we're doing, everybody needs it to be done, not in our strength, not with our intellect, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you don't study. It doesn't mean you don't do your homework. It doesn't mean you don't have your notes. All those things are important, but they are not as important as the power of the Holy Spirit. Then also in Acts chapter 13, turn to Acts chapter 13. We're almost done. Acts chapter 13. Now, there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers. So here's a church. It's not the Jerusalem church anymore. Now we're we're in a Gentile church. We're the church in Antioch. Certain prophets and teachers and Barnabas and Simeon, which is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and, and, and Mananen, which had been brought up in Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they went to Cyprus, and when they were uh, at Salamis, they preached in the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Okay, that's that, those five verses. What we see here is this. Here's what happens. So in the church, the Holy Ghost takes care of the leadership in the church, right? We just saw that. So now what happens? How do we get outside of our church? How do churches plant churches, right? How do people go from one place serving God to another place serving God? And here's how. The Holy Spirit says, separate these people and send them out. And I'm going to use them. Amen? Yes? Right? Now, here's the good news. The people going and the church sending, they know this together. This is something that's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like this. Tidewater. Lay hands on Jimmy and Ann and send them out to China where I already have other people serving. I want, listen, and here's when, you're, when, 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 when they laid hands, when Antioch, when the church at Antioch laid hands on Saul, which is going to become Paul, and Barnabas, what they're saying is this. We're with you in this. We know the Holy Spirit is in this. And even though you're going out from us today, you are still of us even though you're going out. We are going with you in our souls. We are going with you in our hearts. That's what you're seeing here. And that's what sending forth missionaries is like. That's what sending forth those that are planting churches is like. That's what it looks like. And it's so wonderful because, again, who's the whole author of this, right? And it's what? The power of the Spirit, yes? What did it say? While they were serving, the Holy Spirit said what? Separate these people. Yes? No? Is it simple? Isn't it wonderful? Yes. So how do we have leadership in our church? The Holy Spirit directs the leadership in our church. And he is doing that. Amen. And it's wonderful that he's doing that. That's why there is leadership in the church. That's why it matters that they be spiritual men and women that are involved in the leadership of the church. So now, how do we send them out? And the answer is the exact same way. The Holy Spirit says these that are ministering. By the way, you'll notice this. They were already ministering where they were. Yes? You think you have, you think I have some sense that God would have you to minister someplace else? Try it out here first. 
If you understand what I'm saying. In other words, if you're going to serve God, you know, something I, I heard this many years ago, it really helped me a great deal. Crossing water does not make a missionary. Right? Crossing water does not make a missionary. A missionary heart is something the Holy Spirit gives you. If you have a missionary heart, you'll already be the servant of God that you should be. He might then plant you someplace else. You, by the way, let me just say this before anybody else thinks they ought to get up and leave today and go to another mission field. If you should, you should. But the 757 has plenty of do right here, right? There's plenty here in the 757 to do. Number eight, the power to completely change us. This is the last thing we're going to look at together today. The power to completely change us. And we're going to look. There's two passages. I'm just going to go to Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. So we saw that the Holy Spirit is the, it saves us, right? It's the Holy Spirit that, 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 that works in our heart to make us new creatures. We see the power of the Holy Spirit in our church, in our lives, and everything that we need to be able to be the men and women of God that he would have us to be. And now in Galatians chapter 5, a very, very important passage. Verse 16 says this. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth, or warreth, against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, Variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the, affections and, with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now look up here. This is such a wonderful passage. This is the power of the Spirit to completely change us. Yes? Isn't it wonderful? Honestly, isn't it wonderful? Now, look, I know what my life was like before I was saved. I know what my life was like before I was saved. And, 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 by, and because of that, I can transfer some of that at least to your life. But because, as John said, or as Silas said before he sang, because it's written in the Word of God, I can be confident that we have these things in common. If we didn't have them in common, God wouldn't put them into the Word of God. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. The point of walking in the Spirit is what? What is the whole point of this, right? Being completely changed. So what does this mean then? Let me say this. If you're a new creature and you walk after your flesh instead of after the spirit, are you capable of doing everything you did before you were saved and worse? Yes or no? You are. And here's the thing. It's a terrible, terrible testimony to the power of God. Yes, obviously, right? I, have, I, I am a new creature and yet look at what my life has in it. But it shouldn't be this way. And it doesn't have to be this way, right? Because right? notice what it says toward the, end of the, toward the end of the chapter. This is what it says at the end of the chapter. It says this. If we live in the Spirit. So in other words, this goes back to John chapter 1, right? If we live in the Spirit. In other words, if you are born again, if you are born of God, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you are born of God, if you live in the Spirit, if you are a new creature, then praise God, walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit... All the power 
of the Spirit that we just looked at is in your life every day, all day. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us these couple of minutes together, Lord, to look into your word. And I pray that you, will, uh, that you will use what you've shown us in each and every one of our lives, Lord, that it will make the difference that you want it to make in our lives, and that people would see, truly see, loving, joyful, unselfish, Lord, people who are patient, people who are long-suffering, Lord, that they would see this to be true of us by your power and not ours. In Jesus' name we pray.